We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. You're listening to That's What I Call Science Youth Takeover, the weekly radio show and podcast that brings big science from the small island. The show is proudly recorded in Tasmania and supported by Edge Radio. I'd like to begin with the show with an, an acknowledgement of country. I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land on which we are all gathering today, the Palawa people. Today we are meeting across Luchawita, Tasmania Aboriginal land, sea and waterways online. On behalf of everyone, I would like to pay my respects to Elders past and present, as well as the Tasmanian Aboriginal community who continue to care for country. I recognise a history of truth which acknowledges the impacts of invasion and their colonisation upon Aboriginal people resulting in the forcible removal from their lands. I stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language and history and a continued effort to fight for Aboriginal justice and rights, paving the way for a strong future. My name is Hannah, and I'm joined with Ellie, Eleni and Phoebe at Mount Carmel College. Dr Penny Jones, we're just going to fire some uh, fun questions at you. Um, first question, uh, if you could have three pets, what would your top three be? Oh, well, um, I think I'd have a dog. Don't kill my cat. If I've actually got a cat at the moment, but I'm really a dog person, and and I just I just don't quite have time for a dog. So I've got a cat, but I'd really like a dog if if the world was a slightly different place. Um, chickens as well because eggs and they eat slugs and snails and things like that. So chickens, um, practical, maybe not quite so affectionate. Um, and as a third pet, oh my goodness. Um, oh look, I'd better say I better say a cat just to um, make Vinny not feel like. Although I should should say. Um, given we're talking about the environment, he is an inside cat, so he doesn't go outside and eat birds. Uh, second question. If you could watch a Netflix series, what would your favourite one be? Or a TV series that you like? I'd say I think The Crown would be my top at the moment. Or maybe Victoria. You can see there's a bit of a period drama thing. Um, hi. Um, my question, my first question, um, what's your favourite sport, either to watch or to play? Well, I haven't played it for years and years and years, but I used to love playing hockey. It was great. And netball as well, um, until I stopped going and was too short. But hockey was great because it didn't matter that you were short. You could run around and hit the balls and it was very um, very satisfying. So, yeah, I reckon those are my top two. Um, what's your favourite movie? Oh... Lord of the Rings, I think. Um, this is a bit, like, random, but rap music, yes or no? Oh, look, generally no, but in some circumstances, like in gym class, yes. Uh, my first question is, if you had to live on one flavour of ice cream, what would it be? Definitely be mint choc chip. I do a very, um, go, go three mint choc chip ice cream at quite a rate. And lastly, what do you prefer, sweet or sour? Probably sweet, I think. Yeah. And number one question is, if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, 
I could have three, it would be mangoes, cherries and raspberries. Um, but if I had to choose one, I think it would be a really good Kensington Pride mango. It has to be Kensington Pride. I don't, don't care about the other types of mango. Um, what would you live in, summer or winter? Summer. Got a, yeah, I love being in the garden and I love the long days, so go for summer. So now we're going to Ellie for some questions. Thank you, Ellie. What is climate change? It's a big question that frequently, get, frequently gets asked. I'm Ellie and I'm here to ask our guest speaker, Dr Penny Jones from the Menzies Institute, a few questions about what she feels uh, about this issue. According to the internet, the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions from human activities in the US is from burning fossil fuels for electricity, heat and transportation. In Australia, there are eight major sectors responsible for Australia's greenhouse gas emissions. These include electricity, transport, stationary energy, agriculture, industrial processes and forestry. My definition of climate change is simple. It is a change in animal habitats, weather patterns and the Earth's atmosphere. It is also a change in the way the Earth bounces back from our treatment of it. In your own words, how would you describe climate change? I think you've made a fantastic effort at defining climate change. Climate change is absolutely all of those things that you've you've just said. It's got to do with life on Earth. It's got to do with um, the climate and, and what's in our atmosphere. So it's a really complex um, Earth system process and it's resulting in um, weather patterns and overall temperature patterns across the globe um, changing. But I'd also just want to make one point here and make a distinction between anthropogenic climate change, which is being what's happening now and being driven by um, human activity, and non-anthropogenic climate change, which has happened for a really long time. I've actually spent some of my research career looking at climate change in the past. And I just wanted to make that distinction because I think sometimes some people kind of say, oh, well, climate change happened in the past, so we don't need to worry about it. It's not to do with us. Climate change has happened in the past, absolutely, but that doesn't mean that what we're doing right now with greenhouse gases isn't actually... Um, something quite different and something really important that we need to address because it's directly due to our, our own activities and it's going to really strongly impact both humans and the environment. I think that everyone plays a role in climate change. It might be because they have thrown a piece of rubbish on the ground or it might be because of that big company who is not investing that little bit extra to do their part. Who do you think is the biggest contributor to climate change? As you say, I think we all play a role. And I think certainly we can make efforts as individuals to, to, um, to play our role, but really a lot of, I think a lot of the biggest contributor to climate change in some ways is just the whole structures um, that um, our society and economy are built on. Um, the way that we've become dependent on fossil fuels and all of the economic systems that at the moment don't really account for the cost of climate change. And that's the, the reason why um, both individuals and companies, for example, are still burning fossil fuels for energy and sending it out into the atmosphere. So I would say, instead of a little bit of a funny answer, it's not kind of who you're in a person, but I would say really it's our society structures that are probably, um, from my perspective, the, the biggest um, contributor. Climate change is an important topic to me because when I'm older, I will be suffering the consequences of what we have done today. Why is this topic important to you? for lots of reasons. I mean, I, I'm, we're already, I think even in my lifetime, um, I'm 36, so I can still remember, you know, I, I, can, I feel like I've seen the climate change over my lifetime um, and I hopefully still be around in 50 years time when we're, you know, and we're already starting to see 
the impacts in 50 years' time, we'll, we'll be seeing those. And, um, you know, I, I care about broader society and I care about future generations and I think it's fundamentally unfair that um, that we um, we don't take care of the planet um, for, for everyone, including more vulnerable sectors of our society um, who are being affected already. Um, so I think really I, I care about it because I think it's, it's an equity issue and I think it's it's just part of, of taking care of each other and taking care of our planet the best we can. I think climate change should be mentioned so that people understand the importance of solving this issue. Why do you think climate change needs to be mentioned? I think climate change is important to mention because I think it really is one of the most urgent issues that we face as a society um, because of a, we're already beginning to see the impacts of climate change both on on our communities, um, our health, which I know we're going to talk about um, soon, um, and, and environments. And it, it really has the potential to disrupt the natural systems on which we depend in a lot of ways. So, um, and while I think there are a lot of things that we can do um, to address climate change, I think it's important to, to keep talking about it so that um, we can make those changes happen. We hope you're enjoying the show. Stay with us for more. You're listening to That's What I Call Science Youth Takeover with Hannah, Ellie, Eleni and Phoebe. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Hannah and I'm joined by Eleni, Ellie, Phoebe and Dr Penny Jones. Today we'll be talking about climate change. We're joined today by Dr Penny Jones. Hi. Um, so what are you um, researching at the moment at the Menzies Institute? At the moment I'm part of the environmental health team at the Menzies Institute and in our group we look at how things like um, heat, heat and weather um, affect our health as well as we've got a really big focus on bushfire smoke and air pollution and health as well as pollen and health. And I do little bits and pieces in all of those areas, but my main focus in terms of research at the moment is pollen, um, as well as keeping the Aerator app running, which is a way that we've, uh, a tool, a smartphone app that we've designed to let people know what the, the conditions are so that they can try and minimise the impacts of heat, pollen and poor air quality on their health. So how do you think climate change affects us and our health? Climate change affects our health in a lot of ways and there's actually just a few days ago on the 2nd of December um, there was a new report by the, there's something called the Lancet Planetary Countdown which um, is a, a really big international collaboration that is trying to document um, how climate change is affecting our health um, right now and that lists off a whole reel of ways in which climate change affects our health. The most obvious one of course is heat waves like increasing heat, heat waves we're certainly already seeing increasing um, stress for, from heat waves across the globe. Um, heat waves tend to um, affect elderly people the most, but they can affect a whole lot of people, particularly um, people who are already unwell with other conditions. And it's across the world, it's quite commonly documented that during an extreme heat wave, um, mortality increases from a whole range of different sorts of diseases. Basically, it just increases stress in the body. So often people who are already unwell, that can just be one, one too many things, if you like, for the, the body to deal with. Um, and heat waves are already, um, over the past 160 years, heat waves have actually um, killed more people than any other type of natural disaster um, combined, just to give you a sense of how much it contributes to, 
um, mortality and morbidity. So definitely heat, increasing heat is a big one, but there are also a whole lot of other um, ways. So drought, for example, um, can impact mental health in Australia or in other parts of the world where food security is a problem, could impact nourishment. Um, the diseases, so things like malaria, for example, climate change is increasing the range of places in which those diseases can take place. Um, bushfires in Australia, so bushfires um, emit smoke, which affects our health. Um, again, climate change is increasing um, fire weather conditions, so that might become more important. And um, well, it's probably less commonly thought about. Um, my research area, pollen, is another example. So climate change is meaning that in many places like Australia, pollen season is once becoming longer. And for reasons we don't fully understand, not so much climate change, but the actual increase in carbon dioxide concentration is actually increasing the amount of allergenic protein that's in pollen grains. So it's actually making pollen uh, more potent, if you like, or more likely to cause um, allergic responses in people. Um, so what was your, what are your thoughts now, now that you have like come to this conclusion, now that you've discovered all these um, like things that have been connected with climate change? Yeah, well, good question. I think it certainly made me really inspired to stay in the type of work that I'm doing. I think climate change and health is really important for a few reasons. One, of course, because it's, you know, it's affecting people already and it's, um, like many aspects of climate change, unfortunately, it most often affects the most vulnerable people in our community. So I think it's a really important area to be researching and be advocating in. Um, and the other reason I think it's important is um, that it's something really direct. It's something that we can all understand. It's not something abstract. It's to do with us and our families and our lives. And that's something that I think people can really um, grasp hold of. So I think it's um, a really good way that we can use to talk about climate change and um, help everyone in the community um, engage with it. Stick with us for part three, where we'll be talking about climate change and health. My name is Hannah and I'm here with Phoebe, Ellie and Eleni. And this is what I call science, Youth Takeover. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name is Hannah and I'm joined by Ellie, Eleni and Phoebe and Dr. Penny Jones. Hi, I'm Phoebe and I'm going to be asking a few questions to our guest speaker, Dr. Penny Jones. As a global community, what, have, what we have done to our planet and our environment is completely our fault. The traditional owners of Australia, the Indigenous people, died taking care of their land. The environment never looked better. Now we are ruining all of that for making ourselves and the things around us look better. Well, now it's time to ask the questions, what can we do about it? The first question is going to revolve around generations. And one of the things I'm interested in is why do you think it is mainly the younger generations that are more involved with climate change actions? There's probably a few reasons. I think um, in part it's because you guys are going to unfortunately be the, the ones who are most exposed to, to climate change. You certainly can't, can't escape the reality that um, we'll, you're going to really see the impacts in your lifetime and so that it's something that you really want to, to take care of and do something about. Um, I also think that it's because um, younger people probably aren't quite so um, involved in some of those structures that I just sort of mentioned earlier that um, are sort of keeping us in some of the habits that are fueling climate change. So it's a little bit easier to say, hey, actually, no, we should be doing something different here um, rather than, than perhaps 
sometimes, not not in all cases, I would say, look, there are definitely older people too um, who, who do care about climate change, but um, maybe sometimes it's a bit harder um, to step outside the box a little bit um, and look at it from a different perspective. Air pollution is one of the world's largest health and environmental problems. And when I think of air pollution, I think of big companies and all their match machines running at once and how bad that must be for the air and the environment in general. But when you think closer and deeper into this problem, pollution rate is increased every day by just individual rates. So what's your point on this problem? Do you think major companies have more to blame on pollution or do you think individual people are to blame? I think um, in some ways it depends on um, what type of pollution we're talking about and and where. So, for example, um, in Tasmania where we are, um, the, the main form of air pollution is small particulate pollution. And the main sources of that, um, there are some industries that contribute to that, but we don't have really that much big industry in Tasmania. And the actual, the, the worst the worst um, contributor to poor air quality in Tasmania, particularly in winter, is actually um, wood heaters that people have. Um, but then when you're talking about things like um, some of the, the gaseous pollutants or um, sort of heavy metal type pollutants in the air, those tend to come from more industrial sources. So it depends a little bit. And I think you know, we, we absolutely all, all share responsibility for that. Um, you know, as, as we've already, already talked about, fossil fuel generation um, is still a big contributor in Australia and both we as individuals and companies use fossil fuel generated energy. Um, so, and yeah, unless we've specifically purchased clean energy, which you know, a lot of people now are deciding to do, both individuals and companies, which is great. Um, so um, that's that's probably a big fossil fuel burning is probably a big a big thing to consider. Um, but yeah, as I said, I think we lots of things play a role, and um, it depends on when and when and where the pollution occurs. As I already mentioned and asked about big companies and what their role in pollution is, I also wonder what are they doing to help and stop the rise of pollution. So my full question is, what should the big companies be doing? I think. The big companies um, could certainly be looking at, um, you know, clean clean industrial processes, which which a lot of companies are. So ways to reduce both the, the greenhouse gas emissions, but also um, other types of air pollution. Um, for example, that that might mean, in part, as I said, you know, choosing renewable energy rather than fossil fuel based energy to reduce emissions. It might also mean developing different different processes and things like that. Um, so I think. I think we can we can there are a lot of technical solutions available and there's a lot of work going into to clean um, clean technologies and I think we just yeah all of us need to do a lot to, to support that. You're listening to that's what I call science youth takeover. Hey, you're listening to That's What I Call Science Youth Takeover at Mount Carmel and we're just about to introduce all our hosts. Hi, I'm Phoebe and I'm in Year 6 and I go to Mount Carmel. Um, I was interested, um, my favourite part about science is probably the health parts in the hospitals, even though there's lots of parts, but um, because when I'm older I want to be a paramedic so I'm really big on the health, like making people feel better. And I was interested about climate change because it's a big topic that is probably not going to be solved soon. So you need as many people to know about it. 
Hi, I'm Ellie and I'm also in grade six at Mount Carmel College. My favourite part about science would be discovering new things. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of science, but I enjoy experimenting with everything. I think climate change is an important topic because it's something that is going to affect us all sooner or later. Um, hi, I'm Eleni. I'm also in grade six and go to Mount Carmel College. Um, my favourite part of science is epidemiology. I'm just really interested in the way viruses spread and stuff like that and how quickly they spread. Kind of on the same subject as Ellie, climate change is really important to talk about. It's going to affect us all in the long run and the quicker we get onto it, the more difference we'll be able to make in the sort of, in like the way we handle like greenhouse gases and things like that. Uh, my name is Hannah. I'm also in year six at Mount Carmel and I love science and the concept of the environment. It's really interesting to watch things grow and see how things operate with all of the tiny little um, insects and microbes and everything. Um, climate change is really interesting because I find like over time it just changes people and the world and it affects how us as humans grow and especially it's going to affect us um, in the future as we get older and we need to stop it because it's going to um, help us if we help stop it because it'll it'll help us learn more about the world and the environment so yeah um I really enjoyed talking to Dr Penny because um they're questions that probably most people would have um and to hear them from a real scientist perspective even though all scientists might have different perspectives it's good to hear like a real answer I enjoyed talking to Dr Penny about issues that affect us and hear her side of the story uh, I enjoy talking to Penny because she's uh, funny and she um, she kind of simplifies the whole um, concept of cli climate change and how the environment works and it's really easy to understand. So, yeah. um, I enjoyed talking to Penny because the questions that I asked, like they were actually questions that I was like I was asking myself. Um, and I just thought it was good to get, like, a proper answer. Thanks for listening to That's What I Call Science, The Youth Takeover. We've loved bringing you science-related content and hope you enjoyed the show. Like and subscribe to That's What I Call Science wherever you get your podcast. And to help the team reach more people, leave a review of your favourite episode. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, and we love bringing you big science from the small island. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to look us up wherever you get your podcast. For now, we're about to play you a clip of some previous episodes and hope you enjoy it. Until next time, thanks for listening. Can you explain how a bush regenerates after a fire? Yeah, so it, it depends on the species, but if we think about the plants, then a lot of the the plants, particularly the big trees with thick bark, they might actually survive the fire. So the bark can protect 
the trees, the leaves might all be burnt off, but then um, there are dormant buds either under the bark or down in the roots that will reshoot after the fire. And so some of the some of the bigger trees and some of the shrubs might actually be able to survive, but others are going to be killed. And then for the ones that might be killed, there are different processes that will enable um, a new cohort of plants to sort of come up um, and regenerate following the fire. So this sounds really interesting, but I wonder if you could maybe comment on the role that pathologists have played and how the pathology landscape has changed during COVID-19. Where pathology has been vital has been in the uh, collection of samples from patients. So that has required uh, a lot of what's called nasopharyngeal specimens being collected. So that's uh, swabs into the back of the throat and then down both noses, right down to the back of the uh, back of the nose. And that it requires, because every time those samples are taken, it needs to be taken with care and with the appropriate, uh, we've all, all become familiar with the term PPE, personal protective uh, equipment. And so every sample requires full PPE and protection for the collector and the, for the, the patient and the patient being collected from. So that's at the beginning of the process. And then those, the swab, uh, and it's the swab, is sent to the laboratory for testing. And uh, we've ex- experienced you know, an explosion in the, you know, the amount of testing that's happened around, certainly in Australia. And that's done in our microbiology labs. It's a, it's a molecular test uh, looking for, the, um, looking for the, the, uh, the evidence of the virus, uh, you know, as so by a specialist. It seems that both of you are really interested in the psychology and the behavior and the user behind that, which is kind of like probably not something somebody would consider as an outsider to tech is actually really integral to how we make technology and how we use technology. But because technology is so embedded in every single fabric of what we do every day, it's really hard to unpack that. So I wonder, you know, do you have anything to, to say to that point that the person can't really be removed from technology or how we consider those softer sciences of psychology and behavioral science within tech, which, you know, maybe some people who are young are listening to this being like, I want to go to university, I want to code apps, but I don't want to ever talk to people because they're not what I need to. If either of you would like to comment on maybe the benefits that Indigenous knowledge has for marine science. You know, Indigenous Australians have been on this continent for over 60,000 years and a part of our survival has been the science that has come from that in, in ways to you know sustainably fit in with the environment that we live in, the food that we eat, you know, how we can manage our medicines and all those types of things. Many Indigenous people around the world consider themselves a part of the environmental system and not something on top of it where they can control the system and I think you know it's really important now given our current climate. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. 
GemMaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information.